Let's pray together. Oh God, as we continue to worship, we have a very simple prayer right now. Would you engage our minds and address our hearts? In that combination, we must hear what you have to teach us today through Holy Scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you suppose we can learn something from this Notre Dame student? Let me put him on the screen for you here. New York Times ran his story this week. Fox Television tried to set up a national interview. His name, Brendan Loy. His major 23-year-old law student at Notre Dame. His pastime, according to the South Bend Tribune, he calls himself a weather nerd. He just loves to watch the Weather Channel and study weather charts. His claim to fame, I want you to listen to this. Based on careful examination of the signs and the weather patterns, Brendan Loy posted these words on his blog out in cyberspace, posted these words on August 26th, three days, three days before Hurricane Katrina struck with that deadly blow. Now, we know that these words were on his blog. Let me put them on the screen for you. He wrote three days before, at the risk of being alarmist, we could be three to four days away from an unprecedented cataclysm that could kill as many as 100,000 people in New Orleans. If I were in New Orleans, I would seriously consider getting out of Dodge right now just in case. Once the evacuation orders are issued, if it comes to that, it'll inevitably be a, an absolute madhouse despite officials' best efforts, end quote, www.irishtrojan.com. FEMA didn't see it, the government. The governor of Louisiana did not see it. The mayor of New Orleans didn't see it for two more days, and the citizens of New Orleans never saw it at all. Nobody paid much attention to the meteorological signs that this young man was reading. Had they, we certainly could have spared more Deaths in that devastating carnage. A young adult, get this please, a young adult who paid attention to the signs and got it right. Got it right. So much so that today he's getting 20,000 hits a day on his blog site. I mean, who knows what else he might see coming. Let's stay close to this boy. He knows how to read the signs. Hallelujah. (laughs) Question, do you? Do you know how to read the signs? Has it occurred to you that there is another storm brewing? And I'm not talking about that hurricane to uh, to the east of Florida right now. Another storm exponentially more destructive than Hurricane Katrina. A massive storm of global proportions of global deception. I want, I want you to read about the coming big one. Take your Bible out. The Gospel of St. Matthew 24. You know what? Scientists, meteorologists aren't sure. Was this the big one? Was this the big one down south? We don't know. I have a mother in L.A. I have a brother in San Francisco. The West Coast is wondering, when will the big one hit that earthquake? San Andreas Falls. Jesus speaks of the coming big one. Open your Bible, please. To the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 24. Take a look at this, will you? Matthew, chapter 24. 
Drop down to verse 24. If you have a red letter edition, these words ought to be in red. Matthew 24, 24, Jesus is speaking about the coming big one. Here we go. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. I wish you'd write that down. Would you please take out your study guide in uh, today's worship bulletin? Pour your study guide out. Thank you, ushers, for getting the study guides. If you got in without a bulletin, just hold your hand up. We'll make sure you get that study guide. Those of you watching on uh, television right now, let me put the website up for you on the screen. Do you see it there? There it is, www.pmchurch.tv. Click onto this new series called Hid in My Heart. And today's teaching that you want to click on to showdown in the desert. Click onto that. You'll get the identical study guide. I want to make sure everybody up in the balcony, in the back, just hold your hand up. We'll make, we, we will make certain that you get this study guide. All right, let's cut to the chase. Go to that very first one. Will you fill it in, please? Jesus predicted. You see it there right at the top? Jesus predicted a massive global storm of deception. Write it in, of deception. So powerful. You don't have a pen? Borrow a pen from somebody beside you. Don't miss this, please. A a, a massive global storm of deception so powerful and persuasive that it would, if it were possible. Now, notice, those are Jesus' words. If it were possible, deceive the very elect. Who are the elect? They are God's closest friends on earth. Get this, ladies and gentlemen. A storm is coming so massive in its destructive deception that even the friends of God will feel its ravaging fury and almost, and that's a key word, almost get sucked into that raging vortex. A hundred years ago, the apocalyptic classic, The Great Controversy, describes the big one that Jesus has just told us about 100 years ago. Take a look at this. Let me put it on the screen. Keep your pen handy because you're going to have to fill it in. The time of trouble such as never was. That's straight out of Daniel 12. Just before Jesus returns, there will be, in the history of earth, Daniel says, never a time like this, time of trouble such as never was, is soon to open upon us, and we shall need an experience of which we do not now possess and which many are too indolent, too lazy to obtain. Now watch this. It is often the case that trouble is greater in anticipation than in reality. But this is not true of the crisis before us. The most vivid presentation cannot reach the magnitude of the ordeal. Here you go. Here's where you're right. In that time of trial, every soul, write it in please, every soul must stand for himself before God. Write it in. I'm telling you what, your friends won't get you through. No way. Your professor isn't going to get you through. Your parents aren't going to get you through. Your pastor isn't going to get you through. Your spouse won't get you through. Your children won't get you through. Everyone will. How does it go here? Every soul must stand for herself before God. Everyone. How then shall we live? Same book. Keep your, keep your uh, pen moving. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. You want to know how to stand through that final storm? Just watch Jesus now in His showdown in the desert. Open your Bible, please. Go, just go back a few pages to uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. Now, you and I know the Middle East has tragically enough been the hot-sanded hotbed of some of the world's greatest conflicts and showdowns, but no showdown in history more significant and desperate 
than the one you and I are about to relive together. Matthew chapter 4. Just go back a few pages. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. Now let's pick it up. Pick it up in verse 1. Matthew 4, verse 1, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit. Isn't that something? Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted, to be tempted of the devil. Give me a break. Can you believe that? The Spirit intentionally leads Jesus into the desert in order for him to face temptation. You know why? Because nothing will test your mettle. Like a full-blown temptation in your face. I got a phone call this last week from a student at Walla Walla College. A young man. He got baptized last spring. He's been having a spiritual crisis in his soul. And he called me up and he said, Dwight, what am I going to do? It's just things are falling apart. You know what I said to him? I said, hey boy, welcome to the club where Jesus is the president. Because the moment you get baptized, and by the way, guess who gets baptized at the end of chapter 3 in Matthew? Who do you suppose gets baptized so that the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Jesus gets baptized in in Matthew 3. The very next second, according to the gospel record, he's straight being led by God, straight into temptation. Welcome to the club, my man. Get ready. What did you think? Hell was going to throw you a party because you made a commitment to God? You kidding They got the big guns aimed at you, boy. They're just waiting for you. They're just waiting for you. They did it to Jesus. They're going to do it to you and me. Now, some of you, I know, have made commitments to God within the last few months. And you have discovered, is this not true? You have discovered that you have been blitzed with every bit of arsenal that hell can come up with. Don't be surprised. Somebody's trying to turn you back on that commitment. I wish the choir would sing for us right now, Steve. I wish you'd sing that old spiritual. Don't you let nobody turn you around. Turn you around. Don't you let anybody turn you back. Of course, that's the whole M.O. of the strategy. Get you to let go. Don't you dare. How are you going to hold on? Just watch Jesus right here. Okay, let's go. So, what is this? Verse 1. Then was Jesus... We read it again. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit... Into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Oh boy, I like that. He was and hungered. He was hungry. They say that the human body, listen, the human body with water only, with water only, can survive around 60 days. The world's most famous faster, Mahatma Gandhi, you remember him? Only fasted 21 days. We have three men in Scripture who fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Who are they? Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. By the way, don't you think that that is a cue from God to you to say, Hey, hey girl, you need to try this sometime. Don't you dare try it. Now, there's some of us who could go with a little less food than we are presently imbibing. That's true. But remember, Jesus is on a divine mission. Self-imposed for nearly six weeks, he denies himself a morsel of food as he fasts before his heavenly Father. Oh boy, is he famished and weak at the end of 40 days. And wouldn't you know it, get your pen moving again. Guess who always shows up when you're at your physical weakest and worst and wasted. Write it in physical. It's when you're physically down. 
You're staying all night. You're staying up all night to get that last, that little project through. I'm going I'm, I'm to stay up all night and just drink a whole lot of uh, energy-giving hot drink. <laughs> when you are depleted then, and you're at your physical weakest, somebody's gunning for you. Did it to Jesus. Wow. Verse 3, sure enough, here he comes. And when the tempter came to Jesus, he, that would be Satan, he said, Hey! Hey, wait a minute, who are you? Who are you? What a pitiful specimen of humanity. You must have come, you must have come straight from Darfur. You look like you haven't eaten in weeks. Your cheeks are sunken. Your eyes are hollow. You've you, you got to be kidding me. Son of God, give me a break. I'll tell you what. This is very confusing to me. I apologize for even having to bring this up with you. But look, 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 look. If you are, huh? let's just find out. If you are the Son of God, would you do me a favor? Just show me, huh? See these rocks? You're hungry, boy? Eat. You thought that voice, you thought that voice at your baptism was your, your Abba Daddy Father in heaven? Psst, it was just thunder. It was a sonic boom, that's all. Okay, okay, you do it to me. If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Ladies and gentlemen, for you and me, piece of cake, that is no temptation. Do you ever get hungry staring at a rock garden? Huh? Of course you don't. It's no temptation to you. It's no temptation to me. I want to remind you, though, that Jesus not only has divine power at his fingertips, Jesus has divine power in his fingertips. He is God made flesh. He can just say one command, one word to that rock garden, and it becomes Krispy Kreme. <laughs> so it was truly for him a temptation. To satisfy his gnawing appetite. Who here, who here has not felt that clamor within? Wow, I gotta have it, I gotta have it, I gotta, I gotta eat that now, I gotta eat it. We all know the force and fury of our internal appetite. That's what keeps bars and bakeries and bistros alive. I gotta have it, I gotta have it. What time? Is Wendy still open? Taco Bell? Please, i got to have it. I'm embarrassed to tell you. I'm embarrassed to admit this. But sometimes my hunger, my appetite is so raging inside that the only thing that will quiet, I am sure, is immediate gratification. And I'll go find something. i got to have something right now. I'm embarrassed to tell you. Jesus knows the full fury after six weeks of fasting, I'm telling you what, ladies and gentlemen, this is a withering temptation for Jesus. His bloodshot eyes stare back at the taunting face of his tempter as he slowly, Jesus does, rubs his dry tongue across cracked and salty lips. And finally, he finds a voice. And he speaks. And he answered and said, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Did you catch that? It is 
written three furious frontal assaults against Jesus in that desert showdown. And for all three, Jesus has one solitary reply. Write it down, please. It is written. It is written. He does it again in verse 7. Jesus said to the devil, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Drop down to temptation number 3, verse 10. And then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. It is written, it is written, it is written. He knows of one solitary strategy in the face of demonic attack. It is written. That's it. I tremble. Listen to me now. I tremble for this generation that now traverses the same desert. We have raised a generation that no longer turns to the written page. We now have a generation that turns to the electronic screen. It receives its information on the electronic screen of the PDA, the electronic screen of the laptop, the electronic screen of the computer, the, electronic, the, the screen of a movie theater. If it's on a screen, this generation will read it, will ponder it, if it's on a screen. But an old, dusty, onion-skinned piece of paper, how boring. The devil, you think about it, come on now, I need you thinking now. The devil was defeated in that desert showdown by it is written. And as a consequence, he has spent the last 2,000 years vowing, I will never be taken down again with that strategy. Never again will I be defeated by the Word. And as a consequence, he has done everything in his hellish power to obliterate the it is written from the human race. Through the dark ages, it was chained to monastery walls. Today... Look what's happening today. Can you believe this? We live in a world where there are more Bibles per capita than any other time in history, but a world that may go down as the most biblically illiterate generation of modern time, a world that believes Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Come on, think with me now. Because outside of required reading, and I, I know we all know about required reading, okay? Outside of required reading, who reads anymore? May I add the word, who seriously reads? Huh? John Grisham, Stephen King, and Daniel Brown thrillers don't count. Don't count for reading. By the way, nor do newspapers or Sports Illustrated. Who seriously reads outside of professionally, I'm talking to faculty now, outside of professionally or academically, I'm talking to students, outside of professionally or academically necessitated reading anymore? Who reads seriously? It is written, oh yeah, where? Do you suppose that the very same devil of that desert showdown has resolved to wean an entire generation away from reading? Away from reading Holy Scripture. Suppose that's it? I fear for this generation. I fear for us. I fear for me. Write it down, Matthew 4, 4. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
Write that down. By the way, Jesus, in fact, is quoting right there. Those, those words are from the ancient book of Deuteronomy. That's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It's fascinating with Jesus in this uh, desert showdown. He quotes Deuteronomy backwards. He starts out with Deuteronomy 8, 3. He drops down backwards to Deuteronomy 6, 16. Drops down further to Deuteronomy 6, 13. Somewhere along the way, this boy turned into a man, grew up memorizing the book of Deuteronomy. How did Jesus know the Scripture? I mean, he didn't, say to, he didn't say to the devil, time out, time out, where is that pocket Bible of mine? I left my leather-bound Bible back in Nazareth. Give me a break. Can I hurry and get it? None of that. Where did Jesus learn? Come on, come on. Where did Jesus learn Holy Scripture? Let me share with you the classic on the life of Jesus, Desire of Ages. Listen to this. I'll put the words on the screen for you. The child Jesus did not receive instruction in the synagogue schools. Didn't go to those schools. He was homeschooled. Watch this. His mother was his first human teacher. God bless. God bless our mothers. God bless our godly mothers. Some of you are going to end up being a mother one day. God bless you in advance. God bless our mothers. His mother was his first human teacher. From her lips and from the scrolls of the prophets, he learned of heavenly things. Since he gained knowledge as we may do. By the way, when Jesus was born, he was not born with the King James, entire King James Bible on his hard disk. He had no Scripture in him at all. The only way Jesus would ever find Scripture is if somebody would teach him, and he would have to memorize it. Isn't that something? Since he gained knowledge as we may do, his intimate acquaintance with the Scriptures shows how diligently his early years were given to the study of God's Word. Wow. The Matthew 4 showdown in the desert makes one point utterly clear. Write this down, please. In the heat of spiritual battle and in the face of a nearly overpowering temptation, Jesus seizes a solitary strategy. Write it down. He quotes memorized Scripture. Memorized Scripture. Or to put it another way, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. That was the secret to Christ's victory in the desert. Peter Gomes, who is the dean of the chapel, the pastor of the Harvard University Church, has written a book called The Good Book. And I want you to... I, I like what he's saying here. Take a look on the screen. Jesus recalled in every instance during this battle the instruction of Scripture, the teachings of an inherited faith to which he subordinated him, himself in his debates with the tempter. Now, now here it comes. He didn't outfox or even outmaneuver Satan. He simply relied on those things he knew to be true. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Matthew 4, 4. How does it go? And he answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Keep your pen moving. Holy Scripture and the showdown in the desert are unanimous. Here's, if you don't remember anything else from this, from this teaching today, here's, here's the teaching summed up in one sentence. Here it is. Jot it down. More important than bread for the body is the Bible for the believer. More important than bread for the body is the Bible for the believer. I, I've been amazed, really, at how often God's Word describes itself as food. Keep your pen moving. Jot these down. You have to fill these in. Jeremiah 15, 16. Look at this. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. See the Scripture. You eat 
the Scripture. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. Here's another one. Job 23, verse 12, NIV. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Write it in. More than bread. I treasure your word. One more. Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Like food, keep your pen moving, like food, like bread, like honey, God declares, write this word in, feast, feast on my word. Question, do you feast, do you feast on God's word like Jesus, like Jesus? I want to invite my friend Regis Smith, who is here, to come forward and bring something he's been holding in church this whole time. Bless you, Regis. Thank you so much. And uh, Chaplain Patrick, would you bring that, uh, those little goodies there? Come on up here. Reger Smith, one of our faithful members here at the Pioneer Memorial Church. And Reger, this is just, come on over here, please. This is just amazing to me, is that you bake bread. <laughs> what do you say to that? Come on, come on, congregation. What do you say to that? He bakes his own bread. And you just baked this yesterday. Praise God. All right. <laughs> now, Reger, do you know something I should know about this? You're being very quiet. Reger, I want to... Can, can I leave this with you? This is a beautiful... Look at this, folks. Whoa. Isn't that pretty? Thank you, Reger. Now, watch this. Now, I'm going to put this down here. I'm going to put this right here on this cutting board. And... Now, I've already cut off the... Uh, do, you, do you like the crust? Well, you can have this part. Because uh, I really have a hard time with the crust. I did it in first service, but I couldn't keep the crust. And so I'm glad you like it. Because I want to tell you, though, the rest of the bread is absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, folks, what I want to do is I want to cut a slice. If any of you would like a slice, just come on up here and I'll cut you a slice. But uh, I want to cut a slice. Reader, bless your heart. You stay right there. Okay. I'm going to cut a slice. You know why, guys? Because I love bread. I love home-baked bread. You know, they have machines now that will cut like this. You just cut. But I love home-baked bread. Now, whoop. There we go. Now, I want to I just try this. Reggie, I want to try this with the, with, the, with the audience here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a little bit. This is my favorite Winnie the Pooh honey holder. You, you have one of these at home, don't you? Back at home. All right. I was going to put butter on it, but I knew I'd get all kinds of letters afterwards. And so there's not going to be any butter on this. <laughs> I'm only going to eat what is in the Bible, bread and honey. You just read about honey a moment ago. So save your mail. Save the stamp. Don't write me. Because I'm going to put a little bit of honey on here. Ooh, boy. Now, guys, guys. Thank you, Reader. This is great. I want you to keep your pen moving. Because there are three ways you can eat bread. And guess what? They're the same three ways you eat the bread of life. So keep your pen moving. Because here's going to be number one. Here's what you do. When you get the honey on, can I go ahead and eat in your presence? Do you, do you, want, a, do you want a slice? Later. Later? Okay. Let me try it. All right. What are you laughing about? It's good. This is wonderful. Did your parents ever tell you don't talk with your mouth full? I remember my dad was so ticked at me once. He said, don't talk with your mouth, Dwight. I said, Dad, how am I supposed to talk if I can't use my mouth? He said, just don't talk. <laughs> now, folks, 
This is homemade bread. What I am doing right now is, number one, write it down, please. I am savoring. Would you write it in, please? I am savoring the bread. That's the first thing you do with bread. Nobody wolfs bread down. Do you? No. Nobody wolfs bread down. You savor it. You savor it. You leave it. You, you, you leave it on your tongue. I don't want you to be blowing crumbs. Sorry, guys. Yeah. You, you let it stay on the tongue. You just savor it. Now, in the Bible, it's called meditating. Write it in, please. It's called meditating. You're saving it. You're savoring it. You don't just wolf it down. Not in the Bible. You have to kind of let it just stay, lie on the tongue of your heart for a while so you get the taste. Get the taste. In fact, you know what? Psalm 119. The longest chapter in all the Bible. Seven times it talks about meditation. Let's put up one of these texts. Look at this one. Psalm 119, 148. Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. I can't even sleep at night. I'm getting up in the middle of the night and I, I have to have a slice of bread. And so I'm just letting it savor, God. David said, I'm just letting it stay on my tongue for a while. You have to do that. In fact... Let me, let me give you what you do. Let me put this on the screen for you. Here's how you meditate. Guys, this is not rocket science. You can do this. All three, method, all three ways of eating bread, you can do it. But number one, you've got to get up early. You want to meditate? Get up early. Number two, take one passage. Just take one passage. You have this in your study guide. Take one passage. And what do you do with it? You want to meditate on it. You want to savor it. Cut yourself a slice from the Word of God. And I tell, by the way, I tell... Uh, I tell particularly young adults, if you're going to take one slice, go to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. All right? Just go to the Gospels. Take only one story, just one slice. Not three, just one slice. And meditate on it. Reread it so that you can relive it and so that you can remember it. And then finally, what you do at the end is you ask God to apply that lesson to your life today. That's called savoring. Meditating on the Word. How about it, ladies and gentlemen? A big hand to Reger Smith, who is sharing his bread with us today. Thank you so much, Reger. God bless you. Watch your, ste- watch your steps as you go down here. Thank you so much. All right. There, there, there are three ways you can eat bread. Number one is you savor the bread. Number two is you store the bread. Write that in, please. You must store the bread. You see, it's not enough to just let the bread lie on your tongue. There comes a point when you have to swallow the bread. It's no nutritional value if you don't swallow it. Trust me. It's just no good. You've got to swallow it. And in the Bible, the previous step was called meditating on the Word. This step is called memorizing the Word. Write it down, please. This is where you store it. You put it inside your spiritual system. The nutritional value comes from storing the energy inside your Bible. Psalm 119, verse 11. Come on. No verse on the screen. Now, don't show them the verse. Let's say it out loud with me. I... How's it go? Well, I forgot it. Here it is. Thy word. Thy, okay, say it out loud with me. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. That's called storing. You've got to store it inside. You want to become an effective memorizer of the Word of God? That's what you do. You, you store it inside. Listen, next Sabbath, I want to share with you the supernatural benefits of reading, studying, and memorizing the Bible. Benefits that will, that will leave you never the same again. In fact, next Sabbath, I'm going to show you empirical evidence that shows that you actually increased your intellectual acuity 
by memorizing the Holy Scripture. I'm going to show that to you next Sabbath. I tell you what, I was so... Sorry for getting all excited with this food in my hand. I was so excited. Wednesday night here for House of Prayer, 800 of you came out. Praise God. 800 of you came into this church. Why do we come? We want to hear Rich Constantinescu. Because Rich has been on a journey out of the occult, out of the drug culture. And by the way, Rich told me afterwards, he said, Dwight, I am so sick. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm physically sick. He said, my head feels like a helium balloon. I said, hey, Rich, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Here you are, a grad student, already busy, and you're willing to come and help the pastor on campus. Do you suppose that there might be somebody in this universe who says, I'm going I'm to stop this. I'm not going to have people. I'm not going to let them go. I'm going I'm to distract him. He won't even show up. She won't even be there. Rich, come on. You are, experiencing, you are experiencing the showdown of the desert in your body itself. I wouldn't be surprised. Why? Because the devil knows this is the one offensive strategy that will cut him to shreds. You know, Paul describes all the armor that a Christian wears. There's only one offensive piece, and it's the sword of the Lord. And the sword of the Lord is word. Take the S off a sword, and you get word. And the devil knows. You know what? 800. I praise God for the 800 right under that balcony. But I want 1,000. There are 200 of you who yet can come. You know, I'm not into numbers, but you know what I'm into? I'm into God preparing a core, a critical mass, a thousand people in this community, a thousand men, women, young adults and teenagers and children, a thousand that would be willing to commit to memorizing the word of God and becoming offensive in spiritual strategy in God's warfare. The final showdown, the final storm, the big one that's just ahead. All right. There are three ways you can eat bread. Number one, you savor bread. That's called meditating. Number two, you store bread. That's called memorizing. And number three, I had to cheat. In order to get an S, I, took, I made a little A and a little, a little S and then a big capital S. You have to assimilate. We'll just call it simulate. When you eat bread, you must simulate the bread. What's that mean? The power of bread is that it is immediately put into action as it spreads its life-sustaining energy throughout the body. Nourishing bread must be assimilated into the system in order for it to be good. The Bible calls it minding the word. Minding. Obeying. Minding the word. Let me put Psalm 119, 101. I have, kept, I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. Mind the word. When you obey the word, you are applying or assimilating the word into your lifestyle. Look, keep your pen moving. If you read the word but do not heed the word, it's absolutely no good to you. It's not enough to read. You must heed. It's not enough to meditate. It's not enough to memorize. If you don't mind, you have to obey what you've read or it's worthless to you. The body can't use it. What good is this? You haven't brought it in. You haven't assimilated it. For that spiritual heart of yours, we must heed what we read. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, this is a wonderful loaf of bread. Good, bread that is good food, you must savor it. You must store it. You must assimilate it. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. This is wonderful. This is wonderful, wonderful bread. You must meditate on it. You must memorize it. And you must mind it. A kid from Notre Dame. Pretty impressed. 
But I want to tell you something. He has no edge on you. He has no edge on me. You see, he studied the signs and he got it right. What he doesn't know is that what he got right is itself a sign. There is a big storm crisis coming. And the only ones who will stand in that storm are the ones who have hid in their heart the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I want to make one. This is the last time I'm making this appeal. Trust me. I really wish you'd come out Wednesday night. You have nothing to lose. And you have everything to gain. We'll put something in your hands. We'll give you something practical to begin to put these little flashcards in. We will coach you. The thing about memorizing Scripture is you need accountability. You and I have said, how many times have we said, oh, I'm going to memorize Scripture? Every New Year's we say that, don't we? But we're not repeating it to anybody. There's no accountability. We'll set it all up for you. Come out Wednesday night, would you please? 200 more of you come out. Become a core for God on this campus. Become a core for God in this community and in this county, in Michiana. Come be a part of hiding the Word of God. There's a storm coming. I want to stand now so that I can stand then. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do that right now. I'm, I'm, being, I'm not going to ask you to stand if you're going to... No, no, don't stand yet. I'm not going to ask you to stand if you're willing to come this night to House of Prayer, Wednesday night at 7. I'm not going to do that. That would be putting pressure on you. But I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're willing to join me, because I'm dead serious about this, if you're willing to join me in making your mind and heart totally accessible to God and His Word, doing anything it takes to let that Word go deep within your spirit, if you're willing to join me in making that kind of commitment today, I wish you would stand to your feet right now. And by standing, you're, look, you're, not, you're, not, you're not sending a message to me. You are sending a message to God. God, I want to take, I, I want you to max out with me what I need to be able to stand on that last day. I'm standing for you now so that I might stand one day soon. Holy Father, Holy God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. If it worked for Jesus, Surely, dear Father, it will work for us. We want to be like Jesus. That's why we're standing now, so that one day, when the big one comes, we shall stand for Christ, though the heavens fall. See this, Father? That's between you and Him. That's between you and her. Do whatever it takes. Give us this critical mass for this generation at this time. I pray in Jesus' name, let all the people say, Amen.